welcome back to another episode of Reason to Doubt. I'm Jared, and with me is Jordan, back from a trip across the pond. So, Yep, just got back from Italy literally last night around midnight, so I'm out of it, but I do have a new tie straight from Venice, so... Nice, and yeah. it's a very nice tie, too. Well, Jordan's going to uh, join us today. I was going to go solo, but he decided to hop in and grace us with his presence, which is awesome and very nice of him. And he'll keep me on track, too, because today's topic is the Trinity and more specifically how the Trinity developed in the early church. So I developed a slide here that we're going to go through. But before we do that, let's talk about our fallacy of the day, which is the anachronism. So, Jordan, you want to tell us what anachronism is? Uh, well, generally, an anachronism is something that's out of place because of its time. So, if you had like a story, uh, maybe from the 15th century, but uh, one of the characters in this story pulled out a machine gun, that would be an anachronism. <laughs> yes, that would be a, an anachronistic fallacy. Uh, also, too, reading uh, modern understandings of words into things in the past. And that kind of happens a lot when you're talking about like textual criticism or you're looking at ancient writings. Um, maybe not even ancient writings. You know, I was reading a book the other day and uh, they used the word gay in it. And obviously today that has a much different connotation and meaning than what it did back when the book was written. So if you didn't know that, you might anachronistically transpose the meaning of the current usage onto the old word so we just need to be just mean happy yes i should probably clarify that yes it was (laughs) it means happy yeah so um there's a christmas carol with it in there so another uh example of that that i like is uh, survival of the fittest which in its original context what it was meant was the the species most fit to its environment like fits in the best yeah like you know round peg round hole sort of thing uh, but people take it to be like the fittest as in like the one that went to the gym the most, you know? Yeah, that is a good one. Uh, funny one. Uh, so Shakespeare, when he wrote the play Julius Caesar, he put a clock in there. So um, there were no clocks in ancient Rome. So not that I'm aware of anyway. So and you I know you were just there. I so. was just not in ancient Rome. I was in the ruins of ancient Rome and I did not see any clocks. Lots of pillars, uh, lots of places where marble was stolen, uh, but no oh, clocks. Man travesty yeah so it really was that like they the, the romans took this not to go off on my <laughs> trip but like like all of the marble elsewhere in rome they like ripped off of the Colosseum and all the things like oh, yeah man. they're not using that anymore <laughs> crack <laughs> i wonder what things uh so things today seem much more temporary than they are or they used to be but i wonder if there'd be anything like that 100 2000 years from now but Yeah, probably not. Nuclear fire will take care of all that. So with the Trinity, when we're talking about the Trinity, um, we really want to know how did the the doctrine of the Trinity form? What did early Christians, you know, believe about the nature of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? And um, there's many different views in early Christianity, as well as today. If you were to go on the street and you were to ask a handful of Christians, I'm sure... um, you would get many different <laughs> opinions on what the Trinity is and was, right? I guarantee many of them would also be heretical. Like, <laughs> like it's it's funny. Like 
as I've read more about early Christian history and things, views that came up that were later declared heresies, some of them I heard in church. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That is a great point. Um, And, and as we'll see uh, tonight, a lot of these things are, were declared heretical even in the formation of it. And so it just kind of shows you how they were, they're posting it out. Some of the words that we may encounter. Um, so let's go to the next one here when we're talking about the Trinity. So if you're not familiar with the Trinity, first of all, the Trinity is basically the three persons of the Christian Godhead. So Christians believe that there's one God. It's a monotheist, monotheistic religion. So there's only one God. But this God is three different distinct persons. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Right. And why uh, are we as skeptics and atheists talking about this? Well, uh, Jared and I live in America, which is a dominantly Christian nation. Like, if you want to see what we think about that, we did an episode on that a couple weeks ago. (laughs) But, uh, you know, most people in America are Christian. And so it's useful when, if you're going to be engaging on topics about religion and understand something about the religion you're engaging on. Um, yep. And it's also just kind of interesting from a historical perspective how these sort of things come about. So. Yeah. And like you said, you know, Christians are always asking us, like, uh, well, have you looked into it? And like, what better way to learn about the God than to learn about the God? Right. So, um, but I think it was Bart Ehrman that says, if you think you understand the Trinity, you don't understand the Trinity. So, <laughs> Right. Uh, it, it's a mystery. You're not supposed to understand yeah. it. That's the whole point. And Which so is, it's funny because uh, I there, there's like a couple different classes of Christians I see interacting on Twitter and, you know, different apologists. And there's one camp that are like, it's a mystery. You're not supposed to understand it. And there's the other camp like, it's so obvious. It's so clear. Of course, I understand it. You know, like and I'm I don't know. I don't what what is what is not obvious about the fact that the father's not the son but the father is God but God is the son look but the a equals b <laughs> b equals c c does not equal a what's so hard you know what's like, so hard about this right yeah, yeah. so there's many different ways uh, so most of this this doctrine developed because of the question of the relationship between Jesus and God so the fa- the father and the son in the early Christian writings, Jesus was referred to as the Son, and so a lot of different perspectives came about. So one of them was called modalism. So modalism is the idea that there's three different modes. So just like I am a father, I am also a husband, and I can also be a friend to Jordan. So I can operate in three different modes, but I'm still Jared. So that's one of the one of the ideas there. Which, honestly, that is the only conception that makes any sense at all to me. Like when I heard that, I was like, Oh man, that is so intuitive. That's great. And then like, that's a heresy. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime anyone comes up with a, with a, with an explanation that makes any sort of sense. (laughs) (laughs) It just heresy. Yeah. No. Um, if you've ever seen the, uh, the documentary, um, religious, uh, by Bill Maher, there's a guy who gives an example of basically what modalism would be, comparing it to water. So you have water in ice form, you have water in vapor form, and you have water in liquid form. Uh, and so that was another way to conceptualize it. Um, but that's one one of the other ways. One of the other ways is um, adoptionism. So basically that the relationship from Jesus to God is that when Jesus was baptized, God adopted him as his son and he anointed him and he took on some divinity at that point. Um 
Right, which uh, you can see that in the scriptures, particularly in Mark, yes. where uh, it emphasizes, you know, um, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, right. um, which would have the, the idea of a human being becoming divine was common in the pagan world, which is the context in which this is all written. So to the people who are writing it, they're writing Greek, they're probably pagans writing this, or at least most of the people that are going to be talking to are pagans at least. That would have been a very like normal way for a story to go. So it wouldn't have been weird. Yeah. And then so speaking of the New Testament, bringing up Mark, um, there are no uh, explicit references to the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, the word Trinity isn't even used in the New Testament. Uh, which is interesting because uh, I bet if you ask most Christians, you know, to flip a coin, they would mostly say that the Trinity is in there. Uh, it's not. but Right. So. And you'd think like this is the book that's supposed to tell us, like like we're told Romans 120, this book is sufficient to tell us about God and enough. Like, so we have belief. But wait, this is supposed to be sufficient evidence. And it can't even describe like this is like a basic fact about this god i'm supposed to be worshiping right seems like it at yeah. least to me well as we'll find out uh <laughs> not very basic but yeah uh so but most christians today and even most christian scholars and even through the through the generations will would say that you can infer the trinity from the text itself so there are many passages uh that will use the three parts of the godhead all at once so you'll have the father son and spirit all referenced within the same text uh, if you look at, you know, the beginning of John, John is very much um, in this line. He's not a Trinitarian, but um, he, he talks about, you know, the word was with God and the word was God. So, and the word is the son, obviously. But so what what do they say? So, like I said before, there's several occasions where they use the same context, but then we have passages like this one in Matthew. And so Matthew says, and when Jesus has been baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the one of the verses that Jordan referenced earlier that was taken from Mark. But um, but modified. Modified, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this so. is one instance where Matthew and Luke tell the same story as Mark. They're clearly getting the story from Mark, but they're making their own spin on it, which is super useful because it can, you can use that to, to kind of see what, see what they change. Cause that tells us what kind of message they were trying to get at. Yeah. And when we look at the develop and we're talking specifically about the development of the doctrine of the Trinity, this is useful for us because uh, most scholars believe in Mark and priority that Mark came first then Matthew, um, Luke and John. So, also, you have to put in there Paul's writings because Paul was writing pre-Mark. Um, you know, some some scholars will put Mark as early as back as forty, but most think around seventy. And Mar Paul's writings begin at the end of the forties, sometimes mid forties. And so Paul doesn't mention the Trinity at all either, which is interesting. Now he does refer to some sort of things that can be inferred, but for the most part, the Gospels are silent on the doctrine of the Trinity. These are things that have to be parsed out from things that are said. And there's some other passages there from the Gospels that you can go and look at for your reference. But we're not going to spend time on that. Because what we care about is what did the early church fathers actually believe and write about? Because this is going to paint a really close picture or a really accurate picture to, of what the doctrine was, how it developed through the years. So Polycarp 
We've talked about him before in a previous episode. Um, he had some crazy writings. <laughs> but when we're trying to find, look for pieces yeah. of the Trinity, we need to look into some of these sayings. So. He has some crazy hair, too. Look at that. Not, yeah, man. Not very attractive. He's going it up. Yeah, he, he's definitely he's either. Bold. He's like shave, shave that middle part or get the comb yeah, over going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Sweet but, beard, though. Yeah, so this is from Martyrdom of Polycarp, and I do believe this. So most of these writings I pulled off of earlychristianwritings.com, which are translations of, you know, the early Greek or sometimes Latin once you get a little bit later down. But um, it's a good source for, for finding these writings in it, and you can access them all there. But so in the Martyrdom of Polycarp, uh, and obviously he didn't write his own martyrdom story. This is <laughs> but... Uh, he it's says, <laughs> O Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ. So for Polycarp, it appears that he's more of this adoptionist kind of, of Trinitarian view. Now, he doesn't, in none of his writings does he use the word Trinity. He doesn't refer to a Trinity, and rarely do they even refer to, like, you know, the Spirit being the same and all that stuff. They're very separate. And so... um a lot, and so some of them would say this was adoptionist. Some would review this as subordinationism. So subordinationism means that the father is superior to the son, Jesus Christ. So that right. So they could both be divine, um, and it might seem weird to modern readers to think like someone could be God, but like less than because like God is just God, right? There's like right. a binary setting. But in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. Divinity had all kinds of shades. You know, you had very powerful, like all divinities were more powerful than mortals, but you had lesser divinities that were much closer to human power all the way up to the big names like Zeus and whatever and everything in between. So the idea that there would be a divinity that is, they're both gods, but like one is not as powerful as the other one would, again, be perfectly normal in the ancient world. True. And like even within the the Gospels, or you see this with Thomas referring once he touches Jesus' side and stuff, he says truly, you know, you are God, or he refers to him as my Lord, my God. So um, it, it wouldn't be a thing to call Jesus God. But Polycarp um, is not a Trinitarian. So move on a little bit, and we get to Justin Martyr. Um, also, I like his hair better than Polycarp. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> gotta say though, like his parents really like doomed him with that name, Justin Martyr. I mean, come on, do I go like, basically like, saying your kid's gonna die? Obviously, that's a joke. He wasn't called Martyr when he was born, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, he he got the name. He's he's known as one of the the first martyrs for the church, actually. Um, but and so he kind of was like, oh, like he's not like the very first one. I think so most people would think like. Paul, Paul, some of these guys, but, um, so here we have some writings and Justin Martyr lived around the end of the first century to the middle of the second century. So, uh, he, here we're starting to see some of this language of in the name, God, the father and Lord of the universe and of our savior, Jesus Christ and of the Holy spirit. So now we're starting to get the three parts here, right? And to put this in context, this would be written probably this guy would be living after all of the Bible was written. Not yes. necessarily condet like not condensed into one book. Like nobody had the Bible in the year 100, 
but all of the books except i think maybe some some books might be very early first centuries there might be some or second centuries yeah. there might be like some hebrews um, yeah. yeah but all the gospels and most of the epistles would have been written by this point yeah and so they have all this stuff and they're developing it here um i'm not going to get into the specifics uh some of these writings are are beautiful beautiful to read the translations are amazing and they're really good to get into like early doctrine except for just to point out that Although we have the three members of the Godhead here, um, Justin Martyr does not equate them to being equal with one another. It's clear that God is superior to Jesus in this right. because the Father, he's the, the Father is the Lord of the universe. Right. And then our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, and, and then uh, the Holy Spirit. So for Justin Martyr, the way you got to the Father was through Jesus, right? So another, you still hear that language today. So kind of subordinate deity or some kind of intermediary. Yep. So now if we get up to Ignatius and um, this is Ignatius of Antioch, by the way, there's also Ignatius of, I believe it's uh, Loya or I forget the other one. This is the more famous one. Um, and so he wrote an epistle to the Ephesians, same as, you know, our buddy Paul, but um, in Ephesus, but in this one, Ignatius, so he lived, and we don't know when he was born, but we know he died sometime between 108 and 140. So he was right around the same time as um, Justin Martyr, actually. But here we have him you know, saying, there is one physician who is possessed both of flesh and spirit, both made and not made, God existing in flesh, true life and death, both of Mary and God, first possible and then impossible. Uh, so now we're starting to see some development, too, of where they're trying to wrestle with the idea of the, the nature of Jesus and God, right, and, and the Holy Spirit. Like, how do they relate to one another? Um, and so, what does it mean that if, like, God is God and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is in some sense maybe God, well, then you've got three gods, right? But no, there's only one. But, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. And the reference to this, the context is he's talking about, you know, people being false teachers, but also like they were talking about healing and in, in the name of other people and stuff. So it doesn't matter, but we're getting into more Trinitarian speaking, but yet we still don't have any references to the Trinity. There's no equality here, even though we're getting close to it. So um, if we jump into Irenaeus though, so Irenaeus after uh, born 130, uh, died in 202, and he was writing at the end of the second century. Okay. Um, so now, so when he says she believes here, he's talking about, about the church. Um, so the church believes in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and the sea and all things that are in them. And in one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation, and in the Holy Spirit who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of God and the advents, the birth from a virgin and the passion and the resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven, flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, So this is starting to be more like what we'll see in the later church creeds where we're starting to flesh out the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, right, and but, so... I think the key word there is incarnate. So yes. you've got Christ Jesus, who's the son of God, who incarnated, like, so he was already 
and then he came down to our mortal world for our sins. So uh, this is a higher Christology uh, incarnation where he was a divine being already and then came down in the person. And so he doesn't flesh it out here. Uh, this might verge on what's called docetism, where basically some believe that, you know, God came down and sort of took over the body of somebody. Uh, uh, he he uh, Docetism comes from the Greek word for seeming uh, because God only seemed to be human, but he wasn't actually. Right. Uh, right. And so, but I, th- I think Irenaeus would say that he was fully human. That's why he's incarnate. He took on the right. flesh and blood where docetism is more of like, if you were to cut him, he wouldn't bleed, so mm-hmm. to speak. So um, that's why that word incarnate is there. But then later on and against heresies in a later book, um, Irene says, nor the Lord Christ in his own person did acknowledge any other Lord or God, but the God and Lord Supreme. So here we still see the subordination. So Christ is his own person. So he's not the same. Uh, and Irenaeus is acknowledging that there's still somebody higher than, than Jesus. So Jesus is still not equal with God. Tertullian, this is probably one of the more famous uh, things when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity. So Tertullian is often credited as the first uh, to use the term Trinity in his references uh, to relations between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, And he'll actually use the word Trinity, but we have to, again, be careful that we don't read a modern understanding of what it means to be the Trinity because Tertullian may not have meant it in that way when he uses it in his writings. Um, I believe there's somebody else who actually used the word Trinity before Tertullian, but he was the most famous and kind of wrote about it more. So he gets the credit and I can't think of the other guy's name. So, and they were all guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Women didn't, women didn't write back then. I'm unfortunately, I apologize girls. So patriarchy harms us all. So Tertullian 155 to 220. So we're starting to push it up into the third century here. And this was written in the early third century. Um, so, which distributes the unity into a Trinity, placing in their order, the three persons, the father, son, and the Holy ghost. So now we clearly are seeing some sort of Trinitarian speech here. And you might think from this, that he believes that he's a Trinitarian, that he believes that there is father, son, Holy ghost. They're all co-equal, you know, the whole little, Mm -hmm. but, um, Let's, let's look to see what else he says. So, ah, in the same thing against practice, the father is not the same as the son. The father is the entire substance, but the son is a derivative derivation and portion of the whole. And this is almost 200 years after Jesus lived and they, it's still not figured out. They are still duking it out about, you know, what, what does it mean? Like, that's how mysterious it is. Right. Uh, So, Thus, the father is distinct from the son being greater than the son. So still, still, we still have this subordination thing. So he's not a true Trinitarian by our, our modern standards of what we would consider a Trinitarian. Um, he's using Trinitarian language, but he's still, they still haven't grappled with, um, with that. So this is one of my more fam- my favorite quotes from early church fathers. And Tertullian says, the simple indeed, I will not call them unwise and unlearned, 
who always constitute the majority of believers, are startled at the dispensation of the three in one. Yeah, it's funny because uh, he says, I'll not call them unwise and unlearned, which he just did. And yeah. uh, he's like, so basically he's saying, yeah, the majority of Christians are idiots. Or so, which I mean, like the majority of people are idiots, not right. educated. So I, I think this is a, a pretty useful quote too for us when we're trying to understand about the, the development of the Trinity because it shows that through Tertullian's eyes, at least, most Christians don't hold this idea of a three in one. So for at the end at the beginning of the third century, most Christians still believed that there was God and then there was Jesus and that they, they weren't the same, you know, Jesus wasn't a God or whatever. So we're starting to see like there some of the higher up churches thinking that, but the people on the ground really have no concept of this, right? So and in his minds they're all idiots. So 1700 years later not that much different not that much different right or 1800 i should say origin all right so now we're getting to the mid third century origin um probably one of my favorite church fathers he was a prolific writer this dude literally pumped out scrolls like they were freaking like stephen king and brandon sanderson right he's just writing out stuff all the time he had people just dictating stuff he had so many commentaries on other writings and stuff. Um, and so this is probably one of his most famous works, and that is On First Principles. So in book one, chapter four, uh, he, he's talking about this, and he's specifically talking about the Holy Spirit, and it would never be reckoned in the unity of the Trinity. So here, unity of the Trinity, we have this language where we're starting to see that perhaps um, – they're starting to become equal, right? And so Origen actually later on is the linchpin in Christianity after, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but after the Council of Nicaea, Origen was used to argue both sides of the Arian controversy. Well, the Council of Nicaea is where all this was figured out, right? Yeah, and we're going to get there. 100%. <laughs> well, anything out. that was ever figured out in Christianity, Council of Nicaea is where it all happened. The only now, council this, we ever need to know. <laughs> yep. Everything happened. That's where they decided uh, that um, Tom Hanks was going to play the dude in the movie. Everything was decided there. One hundred percent. Yep. And the Da Vinci, all that stuff. But so one thing we need to be remember about this is these, just like in the New Testament, the way that we get these writings are usually through other people's translations, and oftentimes through fragments. Like we don't have any of Origin's original writings. So a lot of the stuff we're reconstructing from what other people have either commented on or have translated. So one of those people that we have is Rufinus. Probably one of the coolest names. Makes me think of Hook. Rufio. But uh in his so this he writes this in his preface of the translations of Origin's book. So Think about this for a second. So Rufinus is translating Origen, and in the preface, he writes this. Wherever, therefore, I have found in his books anything contrary to the truth concerning the Trinity, which he has in other places spoke of in a strictly orthodox sense, I have either omitted it as foreign and not genuine expression or set it down in terms agreeing with the rule of faith, which we find <laughs> him constantly ascending to. So this dude is just straight up saying like, if he doesn't agree with what I say, I'm just, I, I'm just not putting it in here. So, uh, well, credit 
where it's due, I appreciate the honesty. Like I appreciate him being forthright with what he was doing. Well, the, the reason this is important is because when we're looking at the development of the Trinity and we're trying to, if you're going to go to origin for stuff, you need to take it with a grain of salt because some of the pro-Trinitarian language that we may have seen in his writings actually may not be origin. It may be Rufinus saying, just like scribes would do the same thing, you know, if they found something that went against the doctrine they believe. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, th this, one, this one blows my mind though. He's like just straight up like, yeah, I... I uh I changed it. I didn't like yeah, it. So I didn't like it. So but I, but I, but this is funny because he's like um, um, in these cases I have made the passage plain by adding words which I had read in other books of his where the matter was more fully treated. So he's like, trust me, I'm using the, I'm using his language and I know what he meant. Okay, this is so what he meant. This Not is what, what he, he meant. wrote down. But you know, it's pretty funny actually. Um, all right. So now we get into the councils. So there's two big councils when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, there was a bunch of church councils, um, ecumenical councils and stuff, but the most famous one, the Council of Nicaea in 325, and the Council of Constantinople in 381. And then we're, well, we're going to talk about the Athanasian Creed here in a little bit, but let's first go to the most famous council, Council of Nicaea. Man, this, so like you mentioned, I just got back from Rome. And I went on several tours and there was one, most of it was pretty good. Most, most of the, the guys were pretty good, but one of them, we did a tour of the catacombs and all of that was fine. But then when we got on the bus and she was like trying to fill time, she just started talking about the council of Nicaea. And I was like, no, like, I, I was like about to get up and kick Kim, my wife. She was like, I know they're wrong. It's fine. She's like, <laughs> and I was like, but none of that is true. <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah, that's when they decided what books would be in the Bible, and you know, all this. Nope, stuff. that's and not right. And Constantine wasn't really a Christian; he just said, "Like, none of this is true." <laughs> yeah, that would irk me to no extent. Yeah. So, well, the main reason we had the Council of Nicaea was because of something called the Arian controversy. Now, we actually covered this in a previous episode, so uh, maybe uh, later. It was the episode things that we wish atheists would get right. Yes, so like we, we we and because people will say that's where they decided the canon, right? Yeah. So, wrong. not not the case. What it was was there is a difference in view of the nature and relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So at this time, at this point in history, the center of like intellectual Christianity was actually in Egypt in the Library of Alexandria, and there was a bishop down there named Alexander. He kind of head up the thing, right? He believed that the Father and Son were equal and co-eternal. So that was Alexander's opinion. So now and we're into. Husbands into the eternal past. Yep. And now we're into the early fourth century. So now we clearly are starting to get some of this Trinitarian language, but the church hadn't decided yet because you still had people like Arius who believed in the supremacy and uniqueness of the father. So this is still that subordinationism. So that's still holding right. through all the way to the end. And there was a lot of division in the church because of this. And so Constantine being the first Christian emperor, he declared this council, um, because he wasn't a theologian, though he was like, he did give his opinion, but he was like, I don't care what the answer is, pick an answer <laughs> and we'll go with that. Right. But, but his main concern in summoning this council was this is causing division. I want my empire to be unified, make it happen because they were threatening to split. Yeah. And in fact, some, some people did end up splitting off as a result of this, but the church that remained ended up siding with Alexander 
Yeah. Um, Almost everybody who voted there yeah. sided with Alexander. The Aryan group, group didn't get a whole lot of votes. But I, th- I think, I mean, there was like, I don't remember, 1,100 or 1,800 bishops who were accounted for on the, the roll call. Uh, it's either 11 or 1,800, I don't remember. But a lot of bishops voted, right? And so Alexander won out. But what does the Nicene Creed say? So if you've ever had a chance to read the Nicene Creed, I highly recommend you do it. If you come from a a liturgical church, you may actually recite a creed as part of, uh, you know, if you're reading like from the Book of Common Prayer. So a lot of Anglican churches will do this. Uh, Episcopalian churches will do this. Catholic churches. Now, they don't read the Nicene Creed, but the Nicene Creed was what they said. And so this is the last little section of it and in the Holy Spirit. So the first part says, we believe in God the Father, co-eternal, all that stuff. They lay it all out there. And then at the end, this is where they kind of anathematize. So basically they're saying, if you don't believe this, you're out of the church. And if you say any of these wrong things, then you're you're going to hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, but but as for those who say there, there was when he was not, and before being born he was not, and that he came into existence out of nothing, or who assert that the Son of God is a different hypostasis or substance that were created. So hypostasis, um, some people call it like the hypostatic union. It just basically means like the um, the fusing to like they're they're the same. Basically, the, anyone the nature. who thinks that at any point Jesus was non-existent or different from God is a heretic. One thing to point out too, um, and the reason I included and in the Holy Spirit at the very last, because it's kind of out of context, but I wanted to say in this whole Nicene Creed, the only reference to the Holy Spirit when we're supposedly talking about the Trinity is that reference right there and in the Holy Spirit. So and the Holy up, Spirit was there too. <laughs> 300 years in, and we've just figured out about the Father and Son. We haven't even thought about the Holy Spirit. Like he, we talk about him, but we don't even know what it relates to yet. So we're still not even like modern day Trinity, right? And um, I'll say as a modern day, when I was a modern day Christian, that was about as much treatment as the Holy Spirit ever got. It was oh, and like, this other guy over here. Yeah. yeah and it's there. Don't, it's fine. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> However, we need to do something with this Holy Spirit, right? So Council of Constantinople 381. What they did was they confirmed that everything in the Nicene Creed was good. So they, yep, all that stuff checks out. But we need to add some stuff. So this is about 60 years after the fact. We need to add some stuff because there's still some arguments going on about the relationship of the, the Holy Spirit to the Father and Son. And so this is where we get the language. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. So now we're, conf- we're affirming that the Holy Spirit. So they added more stuff about there. And that's the two basic councils that relate to the the Trinity, but we're still not to what we would consider a modern day understanding because even in the council of Constantinople, um, the spirit kind of like proceeds from the father, but they don't talk about it equal. It's not co-equal or, you know, all that stuff. Right. So for the next couple hundred years, we get some language and stuff back and forth, but you would think that, as a doctrine, it's probably the linchpin doctrine for Christianity, the most important doctrine that they would have had this stuff figured out, or it would have been clear as mud from the start, right? But clearly that's not the case. And so when we get to this final slide here, the Athanasian Creed. So 
uh, we've already talked. So if you ever heard us talk about Athanasius, he was a church father. He was writing around the end of 300 in the 300s. Okay. Um, this creed is attributed to Athanasius, but most modern scholars do not think that Athanasius had anything to do with this, this creed at all. Um, it's a long creed. I'm not going to read it to you. You can go look it up. But this creed, it wasn't written until like the late 5th, early 6th century. But this is where the doctrine of the Trinity as we know it is essentially derived from. So if you read the, the Athanasian Creed, you will get this language here, which gives us the is, not, is, 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 not, all that stuff. This is So here we are. We don't solidify it in writing until we get to the end of the 5th century at the earliest. That's kind of crazy. It is. And uh, even so, like we said before, uh, I don't think most modern Christians are even on board with it. Even today, like you're just run of the mill Christian. Uh, for instance, the way it was described to me once the the father and I'm a brother and all that, that was one way. Yeah. Uh, another way was like, well, imagine it's like your body, like the you've got bones and the muscle and the blood and they're all you, but you know, they're distinct. But like, are they all me though? Like, like if I lose a pint of blood, I don't like. It's not like I'm gone. It's like that's my blood is separate. <laughs> yeah. From me, if you, you know? donate your kidney to me, like, I'm, I'm, am I now part of you? Like, I don't... yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I legitimately think that many modern Christians don't really appreciate, and probably hold what would have got views that would have gotten them burned at the stake. You know, had they lived a thousand years earlier. Yeah, and. It's just, it blows my mind just how, how much back and forth and how much argument and how much ink was spilt. Most of the writings in the early Christian from the church fathers were spent trying to figure this, this stuff out. I mean, there's whole books about it. Um, so. Imagine if they'd spent their brain power on literally anything else. Yeah, some of these guys are geniuses, right? So like, Well, I but. mean, uh, Newton. Yeah. wrote more about theology than he did about math or science or anything else. Most of it, like just from like a, wor a word count standpoint, most of it was on theology. Which is like, imagine a what he could have figured out if waste. he, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> the, you know, the whole alchemy. reputation alchemy thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he thought a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully this was helpful. Um, give you all a clear understanding. I mean, this is a brief just overview well, of the history of the Trinity. A so clear understanding, a clear understanding of how unclear it is. How yeah, exactly. Centuries to figure out. Um, and even so, even once it was figured out, um, maybe we should talk a little bit about like the inconsistencies I think that are intrinsic to it because um, you've got the law of a violation of the law of identity. You know, mm -hmm. if they're all the same thing, how can they be different? You know, if they are all a singular God, but none of them are each other, how does that work? You know, well, I would I would say that it doesn't work. Like, I'd also I also say it doesn't work. Even when I was a Christian, I had a hard time wrapping my head around the Trinity. It just it never sat with me, and it was one of those things where you know it was like. God works in mysterious ways. Like you're not meant to understand it. You're supposed to wrestle with it, which seems like a cop out, right? Like, uh, um, I, 
I wonder like what the driving force behind this sort of Trinitarian thought was. I mean, I understand like the reasons why Jesus needed to be God, you know, and that sort of thing, whether it was an adoptionist sense or whatever, that makes sense to right. me. Um, but like, I don't understand what the driving force was to make where everything, like it was a problem if they weren't co-equal and co-eternal and all that. Yeah, I think so. From my understanding, if if and it goes back to like you know the gospel writings and stuff, and Paul's writings. If you have, if Jesus is God, right? There's there's clear instances where Jesus is speaking and he prays to God. So is he praying to himself? <laughs> and so like that doesn't make any sense. Like if if they're the same, if he's God, so yeah. now you have to start wrestling. Okay, well Jesus was praying to himself, so he can't. That means there has to be somebody different than God than Jesus, but then, but then, then you start getting on this rabbit hole, right? It's like, well, like, just I, I don't get it though. Like, just accept that there are three, there are three gods. Just yeah, just accept it. Like, there is a single like God, the Father. He's the primary God, right? But he has like agents and like he adopted them in divinity. I mean, angels are considered in some sense divine. They're not God, but you know, they're divinities of some, like, I don't understand why we couldn't just go with a simple solution. Yeah. Why do we have to keep it a monotheistic religion? Why can't we just say, yep, we got God, the father, and he decided that there's going to be a son and he's going to have a spirit who kind of like Right. Connects everything, you know. So there you go. So there's one big god and some minor divinities and maybe some intermediate ones, but all those other ones, Zeus and stuff, they're not real. Only this one and his pantheon. Like I don't see, like cool, you know. We we should have been early church fathers. We could have figured this out, you know. Yeah, like, man. This but heresy. So we would have figured it out. All the, yeah. no more councils. Yeah. Oh well. Oh. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. If you think you know and understand the Trinity. Uh, let us know in the comments. I'm sure it'll be uh, a ruckus. If I messed anything up in my understanding of any of the church fathers, please let me know. Um, uh, but if you did, then it's just uh, it's just mysterious. Like it's not that he actually messed something up. You don't understand what he said. Right. That's the problem because you're unwise and unlearned. In the words of Tertullian, you're an idiot and you don't understand what I'm talking about. So right, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I don't actually uh, anyway. mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for riding along for this uh, history lesson. Uh, I don't know what we're doing next, but we'll find out in a couple weeks or yeah. a week or whatever. Whatever. I, I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us. And remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.